I'm Nick Caruso, and this is the Gear Patrol Podcast for Friday, August 20th, 2021. Today, we're discussing our first impressions of a brand new watch. Uh, it's a brand called Parchi, which offers dive watches specifically made for kids. We'll also talk about the surprise relaunch of the cult classic Acura Integra and what that means for the segment and for the relationship between new cars and nostalgia. And we'll close out with a discussion about the sizable and quite ironic carbon impact of houseplants. I'm joined today by Platforms Editor J.D. DiGiovanni. J.D., howdy. Hey there. Oh, howdy. I should go. Let me go get my hat. Hold on. Yeah. If you could, we'll take as much time as you need for you to get in costume. Uh, And uh, we also have Deputy Photography, which is how I'm going to be pronouncing it for the entire episode. Editor Henry Phillips. Henry, how do you do? I've already got deputy in the title, so we're, we can stick with howdy. <laughs> oh, deputized. Uh, I also want to point out, if people obviously listening can't hear this, but we have a, a dog in the background there, which, which is heartwarming. Um, so thank you for bringing <laughs> your your deputy dog. I don't know. There's a joke. Yeah, no, he's, he's deputy to the regional editor. Great. Uh, well, it's a beautiful muggy day in Brooklyn, and we have some news to discuss, so let's get started. First, Parchi. Uh, this watch brand launched last week, guys, or this week, rather. Excuse me. It is still this week, and it launched this week. It's founded by Kara uh, Barrett, and apologies if uh, it's pronounced Kara, though I'm pretty sure I got Barrett right. Um, Barrett is a former Hodinkee staffer who launched this brand of dive watches for kids. And the name, Parchi, which is spelled P-A-R-C-H-I-E, is named after her childhood imaginary friend, which is super cute. Uh, It's a line of colorful unisex watches. They're 50 bucks each, and they feature this classic dive watch design um, that have a a fixed bezel, quartz movements, uh, 32 millimeter cases, 30 meters of water resistance, and very appropriately, they're on these nice little NATO straps. Henry, this story was shared on Slack the other day, and I saw you commented on it. Uh, what's your take? I love this. I love this so much because uh, it's great. Like, give give kids the diversity of of products and stuff that adults have. Why not? Uh, let alone something that's thoughtful and adorable and you know affordable um so yeah i wish i I, it sounds so weird to say like i don't know i want to give them to someone i want to i want to give someone a parchy watch because i'm sure it would be great yeah i i i feel that the affordability really is what struck me i was like 50 bucks like for a nice watch for a kid that seems pretty good yeah jd how you feeling I mean, I want one for myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, if uh, you know any any family members or friends have have children, that um, I'll be that obnoxious watch guy and be like, "No, <laughs> we're not doing the Timex. We're doing a Parchi watch because um, yep. they are they look really nice." Um, but I mean, I, I'm I'm not really joking when I say I kind of want one. Uh, I have very th- small wrists, uh, and I, I think it'd probably fit without too much of an issue. And they are tastefully done. I mean, the I, 
they don't look like like when I think kids watch and what I was expecting when I you know um, was reading the story was like teach me how to read time type of watch right yeah. where you have um, it's like a you know a tool for learning uh, and this is really is just it almost feels like um, like uh, accessories for kids that are actually kind of tasteful um, in the same way that watches sure they're technically for telling time uh, for adults but you know we all have our phones and our pockets right and and so it's it's an accessory um ultimately uh and and this feels like it's i don't know kind of an ideal fit for the precocious kid or the kind of uncle who wants to um kind of flex um, on <laughs> on all the other people and give them a you know a, a kind of cool watch to to their nephew or something yeah for sure yeah, that's my go ahead no i mean i think that's my favorite part like the the slight kind of charming bizarreness of the idea of creating, you know, just by association, I think with Hodinkee, uh, the, like the real heads kids watch, <laughs> uh, it's something amazing. Like if you know, you know, <laughs> it becomes like a signaling device. You see a kid with the, uh, the parchy watch and you think, well, what is, you know, the mom or the dad wearing? Right. Which just feels so wacky, but also, you know, I, somewhat charming in some weird way. Yeah, that's funny. That's like, that's recalling way back to uh, JD, something you pointed out with that Oxen Jr. watch we talked about weeks and weeks ago. Um, like, you see someone on the train with this cool watch, like, oh, cool. But now, <laughs> now apply that, like, map that onto a kid, be like, oh, damn, that kid's watch is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> And his dad has a speedmaster. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> when did when did you guys get your first watch? Do you remember? <sighs> or remember what it was, if if you can. I think I was certainly given this is shows the level of importance of kid watches, doesn't it? Um I was I'm positive that I was given a watch as a four to seven year old. Uh, and I'm sure that in the moment I thought it was really cool. Couldn't possibly tell you what it is now. Not a chance. Huh. Um, yeah. I, I think I had a, a Timex Iron Man something and mostly cause I remember pushing buttons and it, I knew it was a digital watch I knew there were buttons on it. So I could be getting the exact model wrong, but, uh, I remember pushing buttons on it and completely expecting that it would make me go faster. Um, so <laughs> didn't, didn't quite work out that way, but, uh, I do, I do remember that and little watch tans. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The, um, I remember two of them. There was this, I wish I knew the models off top, the top of my hand or head. The first one was a Cassie. It was like black with a digital display with mm -hmm. like a, a blue line that kind of bordered the display. I bet someone out there listening can recall one of those from their childhood too. But the one I remember most is a Timex Expedition. And hmm. it was like forest green and tan. It was kind of like the the um, like Safari Edition Jeep Wranglers. And it had that Indiglow button yeah. in the dark. So cool. The Indiglow button was, that was like, I don't know. I don't know what the, the adult equivalent is. It's like revving your engine. Yeah, for sure. Check oh, this out. Yeah, you're like doing it under your desk at school. I'm in the globe <laughs> wherever I want. Um, so, 
Yeah, you know, you you both kind of pointed out the quality of of this design and um, that it's cool. The kids have like nice stuff. Um, Barrett, in she wrote this piece for uh, Hodenki that's really cool. It's, you know about the launch of her brand, and um, that sounded like a dinosaur. What was that? It was a dinosaur. Okay, good. And she said. A couple things, there's no reason to skip out on a good design just because the customer is young, which I think is a really wonderful sentiment. Mm. And um, in justifying dive watches, she said uh, they have, uh, quote, the most visually appealing designs. They're also the most useful. And yet it was almost impossible to find a kid's watch with a bezel, which, end quote, which is a, kind of exactly what you'd want a watch nerd to say about a, a kid's <laughs> <laughs> product. Uh, what do you guys think about dive watches specifically uh, for kids? I, it seems fitting. I, I mean, when you think about what a dive watch is kind of intended to do, um, it's actually probably more fitting than what most dive watches are, are kind of worn for the context they're worn in, which is a boardroom mostly. <laughs> um, it, you know, kids they run around and, you know, knock into stuff all the time. They, they get covered in water or just juice, you know, and, and the idea of having something that's at least styled, like it needs to be that styled as it's, as if it's a bit more tough, um, seems, seems fitting. And I think too, you know, there's an element to this whole project that I think I kind of love is that like, you know, kids are precocious. Uh, a lot of kids have like a precocious streak in them. And if, a lot of the watches that are being worn around them are more like dive watches than, you know, they're going to kind of want to wear theirs too. Um, and not have it feel like it's like a little kid thing, you know? Yeah, for sure. I get my yeah, nephew wasn't this age when I gave him a watch. I don't even remember what it was, but it was like a plastic dive watch that was like indestructible or whatever. And he loved, he was probably nine or 10. He loved it. He would like, would not take it off. Um, they really take to it. Um, and it's like kids are, you're right. I hadn't thought of it like that, JD, like kids are like the perfect use case for a dive watch, like a rugged watch, kind of like a, almost like a farmer would be the perfect use case for a truck and no one else really is, you know, um, that's a great point. Maybe kids are just like the perfect use case for all watches, you know, no phone, just, just vibes. (laughs) (laughs) Spies, <laughs> man. Archie's for everyone. Yeah, could be. Um, you know, I'll admit, I mean, in when I suggested this story, we talk about the story to you guys. Uh, you know, I my first gut reaction to this was pretty cynical. And it was kind of like, this is consumerism being sort of like forced upon six-year-olds. Um, and I... I'll also admit that I haven't completely ridded myself of that feeling, but like it just as like a cool thing that your kid might enjoy for the reasons you guys have outlined. Um, I'm on board though. It's, I mean, there is this sort of like accessorizing your kids element to this. That's kind of like the J crew catalog, you know, $80 sweaters for your three-year-old situation. Yeah. I mean, there's something, there's something there. Uh, but I almost feel like, there, there's just so much more <laughs> like, yeah, you can kind of identify a, a, a watch that's maybe a bit more like the kind of the pitch is like, these look nicer. Like there's your, these are more nicely made and they're, they're cooler. Um, 
uh, they're still telling the time you could get a cheaper Timex or something. Um, so you could say it's, it's maybe more in the kind of vain end of things. Um, but I, I don't know. It's, it's like consumer consumerism or consumer culture going a little bit nuts is like not is isn't by no means really reserved to just watches for kids, you know? Um, it's like, there's so much more, there's so many other product categories that are like aimed at kids that frankly, I think are a lot worse <laughs> for like everybody. Um, so I, I see the whole thing is, is pretty benign and, and mostly just like a net positive and uh, kind of my viewing of it. Henry, yeah, you're think, our economic I, I think guy, I yeah. agree. Oh God, this is going to come up a bunch this, this one, isn't it? Um, yeah. No, I, I agree. I think, and I think there's a real point of note from this being made by someone who is probably by her own description, a watch nerd. Um, the idea, and you know, I think watch nerds, and and specifically many of those who aren't uh, like clout chasing, you know, buying Audemars Piguet, Royal Oaks, and and things that are you know really just the hype of it. Um, guys that are going in for Seikos and stuff, I think, really do admire the idea of of a quality, well made time thing um, <laughs> in a way that in a way that maybe doesn't feel so brashly consumeristic. Um, and this kind of gives off that vibe where it's, it's, it's just fun. It's more expensive because maybe it's, it's lower, you know, it's, it's a smaller production run or it's, you know, just spinning up or it doesn't have the might of like the swatch group behind it. Um, but yeah, to me, it, it does read as like pretty benign. I, I, I love the idea of just kind of, giving kids quality options, um, you know, not to continually reference the bike industry, but this happens with bikes all the time where it's, you know, you have these junky little kids bikes because they can be. Um, and a, a few bike makers have kind of come along and, and started to make really high quality bikes for kids. And you realize like, yeah, okay. If I'm a bike enthusiast, why not, you know, spend the hopefully marginal extra amount of money and, pass that on yeah and and there definitely are examples i mean that's a good good one to point out is those bikes i mean specifically the ones without pedals that kids can kind of like push along right because yeah. yeah there are the they're the cheapy junky ones there's the stuff that's like a bit nicer and then you have the stuff that's like insulting right i think uh <laughs> specialized did a carbon fiber frame one that cost like twelve hundred dollars a couple years ago yeah um and like that that gets my hackles up where I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, like what's going on here? Um, and if we're like thinking about that in relationship to like this watch, I mean, this watch is not anywhere close to that. Um, right. so I think, I think we're, we're in the clear. Those, those parents gave their kid a Royal Oak for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This, you know, this is far removed from, you know, DJ Khaled giving his kid a Rolex or whatever, uh, at the age of like three weeks. Um, can you really even have a watch if you're three weeks old? I'm sorry. DJ Khaled just bought himself a watch (laughs) for safekeeping. He tucks it in the crib. Just puts on his wrist. (laughs) Um, so yeah. Okay. You guys talking about it. You're right. These are fun. They're not excessive. Um, I always get the, uh, the, 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 my hackles go up for consumerism because of my parents who also, refused to let me have a digital watch before I could tell time on an analog watch. 
analog clock. So they would have sort of ironically been really into this. I love the idea that I, I'm going to imagine that they just, they wanted to make like, if it's now or never, you know, if you get a digital watch now, analog time reading is never going to happen. <laughs> That's right. No, I've, I've still don't have a digital watch. So no, it's not true. It's like learning cursor or something. Right. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, okay. We've got fun watches for kids. Uh, no carbon fiber bike frames for kids. We're, we're, we're all in agreement. Uh, next up, Another story, some news from Acura. Uh, I was at Monterey Car Week last week and over the weekend and happened to watch this announcement happen live. So I can verify it's true. Um, Acura, of course, the luxury wing of Honda, is relaunching the Integra next year. The Integra was the sporty two-door hatchback that originally launched back in the mid-80s and gained this huge popularity for its driving dynamics and affordability and then achieved cult status after it was canceled in the mid aughts and particularly the the really advanced sporty type r the integra type r another dinosaur um those type r's trade hands for a lot of money now or can like up and up and over 80 grand sometimes um and though Acura is mum on details for this new car, there have been a lot of spy shots, alleged spy shots, and like um, renderings that are predicting that it'll pretty much be what we expect and hope, a two-door compact hatchback, just like the original. Um, and in a second, I want to talk about the new Nissan Z, which also uh, was revealed this week. But first off, I'm going to offer my Integra take. And it is that I want a modern version of the exact same car. I want those spy shots and renderings to be totally right. And I want it to be sporty, small, analog, no other goodies, just like this really great styling and solid performance. You guys agree, right? Am I, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <good>. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, I mean, is there a danger that's not going to happen, Henry? What do you think? Sure. I mean, I think there's a weird thing with with reissues or bringing back, you know, storied nameplates. And we even talked about it last week where there's this weird thing where it seems that all car enthusiasts want you to do when you bring back an old name of anything is to just bring back the exact same car. Um, yeah. You know, I think people would have preferred had, if Lamborghini had just decided to make whatever, a hundred new old Countaches, uh, or, you know, that the Camaro would, well, it still kind of is, but, um, yeah, I, I love the idea of a small sporty, reasonably affordable car, uh, that doesn't have too much extra. And I love a small hatchback for sure. Um, so I'm glad that it's coming back. I think it's it's a great little segment of the market um, and one that they probably don't... I don't even know if Honda really has. I mean, the well, Civic, the, but... Yeah, the Civic. There's the Civic Type R, all those things. So there's... Yeah. I would, I would love for like a slightly more tasteful Civic R. 
you know, and I guess they, they, they do, I think they do it without the wing, but even then it's just like, it's got some angles. It's got some weird stuff going on, but yeah, give me an Integra R, um, that, that definitely harks back to the original. Cause you know, you sent around those links for the, the type R's that we're selling on, on bring a trailer and other sites. Um, and they look great. They yeah. Look so cool. They really do. Fun story for another time. I injured myself on the wing of a Civic Type R once. <laughs> Badly enough that I couldn't shift the car afterward. Um, uh, JD, you just agreed with Henry about those old ones looking good. I feel like there's a, a thread to pull there. Yeah, there's something about... I mean, first off, it's it's just a little weird seeing stuff from when you were growing up become like retro um there's like like late 90s it it is just like it's like late 90s early 2000s like sporty car like two-door cars and hatchbacks are just like they're coming back and and i mean there is a part of me that wonders okay so one of the appeals of this car is that it just like checked a lot of boxes and like wasn't really crazy expensive and so a lot of young drivers could pick these cars up um in the in the kind of 1990s and and in early 2000s and and those people are in their like later 30s and and 40s now and when you're thinking about what you're hoping from this car nick about like i want the same thing is like is the market for this car going to be people who are just want to go down that memory go go down a trip on like memory lane like above the speed limit right but like maybe a bit more comfortably um like i do wonder if if this is really for like the younger market in the same way that um that the original one was or if this is going to be a play to uh the kind of uh the, the weak soft spot in all of us that just wants to um stay in a particular era or like revisit it um you know with a car or something so yeah, that pro- that element of the product planning I mean, has to be there, right? It's like you, you pegged it. It's like there is a demographic that w- loved this and is probably the demographic that wants it. It's been pointed out that young people are not buying cars now. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom probably doesn't want one of these, right? But I do. Um, but it is that same yearn for nostalgia that got people up in arms about the new Defender being too soft and rounded and not like a steel box with <laughs> big tires. Um, but yeah, the nostalgia factor is big. And I wonder if, um, you know, one of the questions I posed to you guys is like, is this segment um, by dint of it, this segment meaning like sort of like mid range performance? by dint of it being kind of like popular with car people specifically who always want the same thing, is this segment sort of safe from safe? That's a bias, but you know, protected from, which is the same word. doesn't matter. Safe from the advancements like electric powertrains and like futuristic sort of next level changes or like, are these, cars essentially are going to stay the same or is this potentially going to be something that is like an all wheel drive electric weird car kind of like the NSX, the newest NSX was from Acura remains to be seen. Yeah. I, I would love to think that there's some sort of persistent market and 
and desire for, and you know, there's certainly a desire for the kind of paired back, uh, almost, you know, vintage at this point driving experience. Um, yeah. And I, you know, that's, it seems cynical to say that it'll never, or that it'll go away in its entirety. You know, there's always going to be a, a Mazda Miata, you hope, but it feels like, you know, the Integra, I'm, I guess I'm trying to figure out what it would compete against, but it feels like it's got to have some bells and whistles. And is it going to be like 40 grand? Seems like it totally could be. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the hope, right? And that that's kind of what I mean about this segment. And I was sort of waffling because it is a big one. You're talking about the Miata and this car in the same breath because they kind of compete against each other. Like, and um, it'll also compete against the car I mentioned in this, this sort of like segment intro, which is the new Nissan Z. Uh, Nissan just revealed it, you know, the next generation of the Z uh, sort of like sport coupe this week. And it's a reissue, right, of an old brand. It is a, it's literally a visual mix of most of them. Um, it's a car that's been, my parents wanted one when they got married, you know, like a Z. So it's been around for a long time and it competes with this competes with the Miata competes with the Mustang. And it's like this, um, I don't know. I feel like it's just kind of like this, this, this centripetal force keeps this segment from changing a ton or may, may keep it from it. That's just kind of my take. For about forty thousand dollars. Yeah, I, I guess I guess the tension with any car coming back and any like kind of badging coming back is like, yeah, you're, you're playing to you have like the spirit of that thing and like what what people remember it as. Um, but then you also just have like the rest of the market, <laughs> or at least the segment that you're trying to sell to. And I, I don't know. I mean, just to answer that earlier question you had, Nick, my my hunch is that like they're going to try to kill two birds with one stone and end up as upsetting. I think the, the base, I think that's almost, that's almost like a guarantee because look, I mean, this car has a, has a, a, a loving kind of a following and, and people who really love it and are very fond of it. And then there are just scores and scores more who have no idea what an Integra is. <laughs> And they're just like yeah. looking for a good car. And like, what do you mean? This doesn't have all the standard features that every other car in the market has. Right. 100%. Um, that's, I think that's always going to be the, the issue that folks run into. And so it, it necessarily has to change, but it's almost like that's where the kind of excitement comes in is, you know, how do you, like, can you keep the spirit uh, or like idea behind a product alive through like new iterations and, and new ways of like new technologies? Like, is there, can you like keep that candle lit? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm super curious to see what, what the consensus on this will be when it does come out. Yeah. I mean, you've kind of pegged, that is Acura's approach or has been in the past. I sort of, I, I didn't mean to deride the NSX at all. It's an, an incredible car. I mean, it truly is. Um, this, this Integra was announced at, uh, the same event where they announced like the, the last and high powered uh, iteration of the NSX, the type S. Um, and I, so I thought about that car a lot over the last week, the NSX and the original was this lightweight aluminum 
edgy car with a V6 and not much else. And the new car is a hybrid all-wheel drive up to 600 horsepower. It's got this wild dual clutch transmission, all this carbon fiber. It's a complete departure from the original because they wanted to forward, you know, they're a forward thinking company and they wanted to sort of advance everything. And, um, you know, that, that car is underappreciated for what it can do because I think so many people wanted the kind of like the, the defender <laughs> version of the NSX to come back. Um, yeah. so like, I always can found, you please everyone yeah. with a car? I don't think so. I always found the NSX one super interesting too, because it feels like the DNA of the company um, persisted. You know, the the original NSX came out and yes. it was it was weird and it was innovative uh, in a lot of ways. And I think for a long time it went underappreciated as kind of the boring supercar. Um, and then, whatever, ten years later, people realized that it was really pretty amazing. And then they kind of did the same thing uh, when they reintroduced the new one. Um, so I'm sure. curious to see what the trajectory, trajectory of that car is. And I, yeah, I, I wonder how, how it's going to do, you know, reintroductions of kind of discontinued brands or, you know, nameplates. It seems hard. I mean, I, I'm struggling to think of one that, that really nailed it. Um, the kind of modern muscle cars seem like they might be like the challenger and stuff like that mm-hmm. seem to have gone reasonably Mini did well, a pretty good job. Mini and, and the new beetle. That's maybe true. Hit it. Um, that's a good call. Yeah. It'll the be beetle. interesting. And you know what? I, I, this is a side note, but I was, I have spent a lot of time on auto trader looking for old NSXs and just like seeing how much I would have to like, you know, ruin myself financially to get one. Um, but it calls to mind, like how much will these be worth eventually and how much of a markup our dealers going to put on them? Cause they know people are going to want them. So mm-hmm. remains to be seen uh, if they're going to knock it out of the park or if it's going to be too weird or, or what? Is that the final? I didn't mean to have the final word. I think I just did it though. JD. You might have, I was going to ask you about something completely unrelated. Um, or okay. S- s- the announcement of this car I saw on on social media. They did it with drones. Yeah, yeah. What was? It was can you tell me about that? <laughs> sure. So that so Monterey Car Week, right? Monterey, California, around Carmel at Carmel Valley Ranch, um, big golf resort. Um, I don't remember which green it was over. All these car events that week generally take place in golf courses, which is always weird. Um, But it was like, you know, cocktail event. The sun goes down and it looks over this fairway and green and um, sort of like, you know, the music stops. And then you hear this hum. that's like, you know, kind of. And I don't know how many dozens of drones just did this sort of very... Um, sort of like uh, probably probably more complex than it seemed. It was just very elegant and simple sort of display of like words and shapes and it was like NSX and like a Type S because they had just announced that car and then it evolved into a te- Integra and then the drones like morphed into the shape of 
a two door compact, like sport coupe. Um, and people went nuts. I think largely because of the very good margaritas they were serving, but also because <laughs> like people were really excited. No one had heard this yet. Um, John Akeda uh, from Acura made the announcement and there was like this moment where people were like, what? What? That's and cool. then he couldn't tell us any more information than the drone show. And it's just a lot of hype. But it was, yeah, it was pretty spectacular. Kind of like a splashy, uh, splashy way to do it. And uh, a really good marketing move on their part. Yeah, I, uh, drone drone dancing or messaging or whatever the heck it is feels to, like it's slowly creeping in, into it just it's just becoming like more and more common. Like I'm just seeing it more. I remember seeing it at the Olympics like ceremony yeah, yeah, yeah. or something like that like a while back and and now it's like you can just do it for a car launch and anyway. Um <laughs> I'm only I'm only I'm only vaguely freaked out. Um so just just yeah, wanted to terrifying. make sure that no, it's you know, terrifying. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it was spectacular to watch. It was really cool news. I'm excited, regardless of what happens, I'm excited for whatever the car ends up being. So, um, kudos to Acura, but let's move on to story numero three. Oh, uh, last up is a story, uh, recently published by Vox. Uh, it's a story, uh, by, uh, Audrey Carlton. It's titled, Are Your Houseplants Actually Good for the Planet? Uh, and it's a very detailed deep dive on the carbon impact of buying houseplants. Um, maybe more top of mind uh, than usual since the pandemic began, because we've started spending more time at home and demand for houseplants. Like, this is a documented uh, fact uh, cited many times in the article that demand for houseplants has skyrocketed and uh, had already been growing exponentially in the couple of years prior um, to the lockdown. So long story short, that means more plants have to be grown, and that means massive industrial farms have been made and employed to keep up with that demand. And the knock-on effect is that there's a lot of water and land and energy use, and not to mention what you know byproducts of the shipping process. Uh, and that all equates to a significant um, and growing environmental impact. So, JD, I know you've got something to say about this. What's your take? Yeah, um, I don't think it's that bad. Uh, but wow. let me explain. Yeah, look... This story isn't really a new one. Uh, and first, I want to say that the piece is, is, is a damn good read. Um, the folks over at Vox, I mean, are unsurprisingly uh, good at their jobs. Uh, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about <clears throat> just the industry of houseplants and, and the fact that it is an industry. And then there are these big players, these big greenhouses that kind of control most of the market. Um, <clears throat> so I, I don't want to write this thing off. Audrey Carlton, shout out, uh, killer uh, article. But so uh, look, I mean, like, there is a carbon cost to everything we do, right? Like any activity, um, especially when it comes down to purchasing something. So, I mean, I, I think if anything, the, the thing that's worth thinking about when reading this story and understanding kind of in more specific terms that the carbon cost for buying houseplants, it's just if you are participating in a trend, right, which is, I think, something that this piece identified really well um, that uh, and then that, that house plants kind of are, they're very trendy. They're, they're kind of go in and out of favor. Different plants become popular and unpopular. 
um, it is to take a take a beat <laughs> before you purchase something and think, you know, do I really need this? Do I really want this? Is this going to be something that is going to stick around in my life for like longer than a couple of months, right? And I think if you can in, if you can make more wise decisions about like what you're buying and why, th- that's going to get you to a better place. But generally speaking, um, you know, I, I think that this is. It's not on the the scale of kind of bad things in the world. Um, I don't see this one all that high up there, and and even even in the more narrow world of of kind of uh, climate change and global warming, um, especially because I think when you think about waste, so the production has like a relative relatively high amount of like carbon cost, or at least it's it's kind of like laid out pretty well um, in term in like resource use, but. Um, you know, when you dispose of a plant, it is organic material, right? So at least you're not, it's not like a plastic straw situation where like mm-hmm. you use it once and it's, it's thrown away to kind of forever kill turtles. Um, uh, there's like a different situation here. Uh, so look, I, at this point I'm, I'm beginning to meander and kind of lose the thread here, but I, I will just say that like, there, there's a cost to any kind of purchase and, and good um, and participation in the market. And I think this one is relatively benign, albeit very interesting to find out about. And if you're really worried about the carbon footprint um, that your activities have, I think it's important to live conscientiously and purchase conscientiously. But I don't know, like, I think you can enjoy your plant and then save the time that you would otherwise spend trying to reduce your plant carbon footprint to just like lobbying politicians and like taking, taking, um, taking part in political action like because there's a problem here to be solved but i'm not sure that like the plants are the front of this war that is worth fighting even yeah i mean i don't think that was meandering too much at all i think you you made excellent points in there it is really interesting but in context it really isn't horrible uh two things come to mind for me is one you know we were just talking about golf courses you want to talk about a carbon impact and like a waste of space. Um, I, as particularly as someone who counts among my very worst qualities that I do golf, um, you know, I mean, I sort of like resent myself for it anyway, but like that's compared to this, uh, you know, is a, is a different, uh, probably puts it in context. And then the second one, just one fact from this article that on the surface seemed alarming to me. And then the more I thought about it, the less it was. It says, uh, it talks about poinsettias. And a couple of years ago, 2019, production cost $153 million, 2019, right? And each of the plants that for purchase, like each unit had a carbon footprint of half a kilogram. Uh, and compares this to burning a liter of gasoline that produces just over two kilograms. I was like, whoa, each poinsettia was like a quarter of a liter of gasoline. Like that seems terrible. But then like, I just moved my Jeep to, to do like alternate side parking. I probably burned that much fuel, you know, and I do that many times hmm. constantly. And, and it like, didn't in look context, nearly as good. It doesn't, it's not festive. It's not even the holidays It's way too <laughs> early. So like, um, there are a lot of problems with it. And uh, in context, you know, I tend to agree with you, JD. Henry, how about you? We can come back to your economics uh, expertise here. 
Yeah, here. please. Let's let's go through a variety of um, kind of various equations and functions. Um, no, I mean, I wish I had something kind of to disagree with you guys about, um, but I, I'm on the totally same page. Um, I think it's interesting, and I think to reinforce the idea that everything has a carbon cost, um, especially when you're dealing with things that are particularly you know, not local or affordable or imported, um, you know, there is generally an increased cost um, and something that most people maybe don't account for. Um, so I'm, I'm cool with the idea of uh, making sure that people account for, for carbon costs of things that may not feel like they have it. Um, but yeah, to, to say that consumers should go and, and, drastically alter their uh their plant buying habit um that's a tougher leap for sure because you know i'm staring at a desk of 20 things that all had a significantly higher carbon impact than the all of the plants combined in my apartment so Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 a tough sell yeah. And it is worth saying too, I, I, I didn't find an argument in this piece to say like, stop buying plants or like, you're like killing the earth because you're, you're buying plants. It, it really, it really did more outline just um, kind of the costs involved. And, and again, I think that's really instructive and, and worth finding out. And I think that what that leads me to think about as a reader is like, okay, like why, <laughs> you know, like, okay, well, what, like, what do I do with this information? Like how, yeah. What, what what consequences does this have in, in my own life? And I think that it really, if anything, mostly just satisfied my own curiosity about about this like market and how it works, you know, and and yeah. the fact that really, whenever anything is like as trendy as plants, that like it, the, the 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 kind of monster of like industry just comes in and just like moves heaven and earth to get you your cute plant to be like a background in your TikTok or like your your Instagram photo and it's so striking i mean of course i think we're we're all familiar this would be less interesting if if it was any other product but right. plants have this like innocent thing to them it's like kind of like fern gully vibes you're like it's all good like it's my name is batley yeah <laughs> exactly um, and it's just not the case with this stuff. And, and it's, um, it's, it's kind of nuts. I mean, I don't know. I mean, has it changed your thoughts about how you're going to buy plants at all? Um, Nick, are you going to, you going to buy from a different greenhouse now? I, I see some plants like waving in the background now. Yeah. My air conditioner, every time I'm on a video calls, people are like, are your plants attacking you? And my air conditioner just moves them around. Um, so, you know, one of the reasons this, article struck me initially is that I've somehow avoided purchasing uh, any of my houseplants online and like, or, you know, having them sent to me, I've always gone to a greenhouse, um, which made me feel first self-righteous. And then second, like, like, I don't know, to your point, like the reaction you guys had, we all had, uh, it's kind of like, I don't know if it's all that bad if I do find some online. My girlfriend buys plants online and they're wonderful and they stick around and um, and it's kind of a nice thing. Um, but, you know, one thing I, it did make me do, I got curious because, you know, 
at Gear Patrol, we we recommend houseplants a lot because they're they're great to have around for a lot of reasons, um, and it's they've been popular lately. So we want to give people some advice. And I was looking through some of the 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 providers, right? Some of the outlets, the vendors for these. These are popular places like uh, uh, well Amazon. Costa Farms, but also like um, Urban Stems and The Sill and all that. And I didn't like go really hard into their source code on their website or anything, but I didn't see anything about sustainability practices on those websites, which I, you know, I guess I, I felt like I needed to go into detective mode after reading this article, but um, it's not alarming. It's just also kind of like ironic it's sort of surprising to me i guess i would have expected to see that information no uh, listed. that's that's a that's a good point that's a good point and, and and it is one of those things where like i guess there's a there's a spectrum right where you can on the one hand throw your hands up in the air and say look everything has a carbon cost it's all out of our hands you know a hundred companies produce you know x percent of the total carbon in the world and like we're all doomed um and, and on the other hand you can say, I mean, like you can point to examples of um, industries that have taken their impact both in terms of climate and um, in, in more generally, like seriously. And I think the coffee industry is a, is a good example of that where, you know, the, the way that coffee is traded is, is taken really seriously and it, it's been well-defined and that community has really come around kind of identifying different models for making sure that the people who are growing and um, the coffee are, are being kind of paid appropriately and that the mm. plants are being um, kind of uh, taken care of in, in a sustainable way um, so that the coffee can continue to be produced. And then thinking about what kind of packaging they're using, uh, you know, how roasters like the actual kind of roasting machine is set up and um, you know, it, it can, it can come across as being a bit precious sometimes, but I think in general, like this is, it's become pretty, pretty prominent in that community. It's like the kind of specialty coffee world. And, you know, there's no reason not to think that the same can't happen in, and that the kind of margin of, of like impact that producing a bunch of plants already has can't be reduced to a certain extent, or at least be approached with more like consideration. Um, so that's that's interesting to point out that there's nothing there's nothing on those um, kind of sites about sustainability and that maybe that's a question that um, as a consumer I'll I'll maybe look for a bit more um, a bit more actively. Yeah, I mean it's like it's like um, a boom happened and the market has to adjust, right? Well, if this continues, which it's predicted to, um, this popularity of house plants, then no doubt. Uh, the industry will come under scrutiny by, you know, environmentally aware people. They all do, and they'll have to react and uh, share information and, and take care of it all. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But it's like to your points, our points. It's not uh, doesn't seem end of the worldish. I don't know, Henry. You know, do you want to? Have you had time to peruse your textbooks? No. Can you do you want to weigh in? Yeah, with no, the last I've word kind of assembled some some equations that seem to agree with you. Um, it's a good joke. It's a good joke. I mean, We're going to keep I, doing I think, this, everybody. I think there's a there's an interesting not to you know talk about you know, externalities and knock on effects, but like how much of the inherent um, 
like non greenness uh, of the plant industry is offset by the idea that people are living among plants and valuing nature and plants and green space and green things uh, and trying to live or modify their general lives accordingly. Um, that's just like that's vague rambling and thinking, but um, you know, not to say that it's offset or it, it somehow like doesn't matter anymore. But um, I, I do think that more plants is probably a good thing, uh, you know, coming from three people who are currently in a place that is largely pavement and concrete. Um, so true. The idea of people valuing green space more is, or green greenery in general, um, feels like something I can get behind. Yeah. Right on. I, I must not value uh, greenery at all because I have zero plants in my apartment. Well, I, I can recommend a lot of just mega irresponsible outlets where you can get all sorts of, you can, or you could just buy a huge block of uh, styrofoam. Either There's one. this great golf course in Dubai. Phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go get a, just go charter a plane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, I think it's interesting. We all kind of like, all three of these stories today, I, I don't think this always happens with conversations like this, but all three, we kind of walked away with pretty positive, um, uh, if not critical, uh, sort of takes, which I, I really appreciate. And uh, as the person who chose the three stories, I, I feel self-righteous again. So that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> if anyone listening is uh, interested in figuring out their own carbon footprint or all that, we'll drop links in the in the uh, show notes down there. There's a lot of like fun little calculators and stuff you can use. Um, but uh, for this episode, we're going to, we're going to wrap things up. That's all we've got for the show this week. Uh, JD and Henry, thanks for weighing in on the news from our little concrete jungle here. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And everyone else, thanks for listening. Like I said, links to, uh, and info about everything we talked about in this episode can be found in the show notes or on the site, a, web, a Gear Patrol website, if that's where you are. Hit us up on social media with thoughts, responses, questions. Our handle everywhere is Gear Patrol. That's one word. And or uh, send us an email at uh, podcast at gearpatrol.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice. And please drop us a five-star review if you're so inclined because it helps us get into more ears. Uh, that's it for today. We will talk to you next week. For Gear Patrol, I'm Nick Caruso. And until next time, take care.